Hello, everyone. Welcome to Riding in Cars with Cats. I'm your host, Mike Tanner. And today I want to talk to you about some questions. These are not questions that I have for you right now. These are the questions that you have for your clients and your customers. And what I'm going to suggest is that in the vast majority of cases, you're asking the wrong questions. So I recently took on a new project for a client and I've been doing some sort of market research for customers for a while now, trying to dig into what their customers actually want, what their customers actually need, what their customers are actually willing to pay for. And then trying to either, in in some cases I've helped them then work on the projects themselves, the products, the services, et cetera, to try and match up with those things. And in other cases, uh, I've helped them tell the story on various platforms that connect what they have to offer with what people want and need. And it's interesting how many times you get a survey from a company talking about the service that they've, that you've provided or that they've provided. And it's a very straightforward survey. It's always kind of the same questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with the service we provide? On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely would you be to recommend our service to someone else? On a scale of 1 to 10, each of these things. And there's a few problems when you're asking those types of questions. There's a couple of major issues when you're asking questions like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to recommend our service to someone else? Because here's the thing. Number one, if they like you, a lot of people are stuck on this idea that they don't want to hurt your feelings. And so the answer that they'll give is like nine or 10. When the fact of the matter is, is that it probably is less. They're probably less likely. If everyone were as likely to recommend companies to their friends and families, etc., as as they say they are on surveys, every company would be doing just fine. But the fact of the matter is they're not. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. The second part is, is that we often use a very specific number when we're not really sure, which is seven. Seven is a dangerous number when you're trying to calculate things because it's a very easy way to say, I don't know. There was a, I was listening to a podcast about a company that when they do their hiring, they interview each of the each of the candidates in a group atmosphere. So there's more than one person and they are each person then rates the applicant on a scale of one to 10, except they have a very specific rule, which is you cannot use the number seven. And you might think, well, that's weird and arbitrary and not a big deal. But the fact of the matter is that when you exclude the number seven, you realize that boy, there is a big difference between a six and an eight. A six is someone you are not going to hire. They barely make the cut. They're just above sort of an average person. An eight is a superstar. You know, there's someone who's going to, to make changes for your company and to be able to help you succeed. And so when you remove the seven, you're removing that sort of inconsistency or the sort of just fuzzy area where you you don't really know what you would rate them. And so that's the first thing. 
is that I'd recommend that if you're asking people questions and it's a scale of one to 10, leave out the seven. I also really like when people use more natural language as part of their, um, their questions. So for example, if you said, when thinking about your last, you know, contact with our customer service representative, would you say you were? And then they always said the same thing. Very unsatisfied, unsatisfied, neutral, satisfied, very satisfied. And you're like, I don't know. What's the difference between satisfied and very satisfied? What's the real difference between neutral and satisfied? I'm not unsatisfied, so how do I calculate these things? And we run into this real problem with it where you don't really know what to say or how to say it. So one of the things that I like to do is I like to ask questions and make comments in there that are a little more apt to be the way people would talk about them. So in thinking about your last contact with our customer service agent, would you say they were entirely unhelpful? I They were helpful, but I didn't really enjoy the call. They were helpful and polite, and I enjoyed the call. You know, I'll also say things like, would you, you know, yes, no, absolutely not. What are you talking about? Sort of the same kind of comments that people are going to make um, in real life. And again, you want to make it as connected to the real experience as you possibly can. You don't want to have a survey that is disconnected from people. That's the way we used to do surveys. We used to ask a question, we'd look at all the numbers, and we'd go, okay, we're at 6.3. Okay, well, you know, here's what we do. But when we're talking about surveys, and again, we, and we will talk a little bit about whether surveys are the right way to do this at all, but when we talk about this, we really want to bring the human aspect back into customer research. It's something that's been missing for a long period of time in a lot of ways. So that's the first thing. If you're going to use these sort of matrices, make it interesting, leave out the seven, try and get some, some real information from that, from those questions. The second thing I'll say is, are you going to use the data? Because, you know, I've, I've worked on projects where, uh, you know, I've come up with all these questions. These are all the things you might find interesting. And then I realized that some of these questions, we're not going to actually use that data. There's nothing that we can drill from that, that we're, that's going to be connecting. So you really want to make sure that the questions you're asking are, are only the questions you need to ask. You don't want to ask dumb questions, basically. Um, that, I think, makes sense for most people. Most people can wrap their head around that. Now, the second part is about open-ended questions. And it has to do with the questions we ask and how we ask them. So a lot of companies when they're doing surveys or when they're doing any sort of customer data collection will shy away from open-ended answers, except for the, you know, the one we all avoid, which is, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the company that hasn't been included in this existing survey? You've asked me 10 questions. I just want to get through this. And then is there anything else? And it's boring. It's, it's kind of lame. The reason that companies tend to shy away from, the sort of open-ended questions or these conversational questions is because it takes a lot more work to pour through that information. It takes a lot more work to actually go through and say, you know, what did they actually say about this? What words are they using? What's the conversation they've had? 
a lot of companies want the cheap, simple answer. They want, you know, they want on a scale of one to 10, not realizing that that's not going to help them really get, get the information. So here's, for example, some, some questions that I have recently asked on surveys and some of the reasons that I use them. So I do like to include the, would you recommend our service to someone? I do like to include that because there are things that we use and we only use them because we have to, and we wouldn't recommend that anyone else use them. There are a number of apps that I use that I, I use because I have to use them and I would not recommend them to someone else. There's a number of services like that, but we will often say, oh, sure. Yeah, no, I'd recommend it to someone else. I always have a follow-up question to that, which is, have you recommended our services to someone else? And this causes pause. And a lot of people will look at the previous answer and go, oh, I said I would, but I haven't. And we follow that up with why or why not? And this has been a question on the last several uh, sets of customer surveys that I've done to clients that has garnered some really interesting results because we've had people who've said, yes, I would recommend the service to someone else. No, I have not recommended this service to anyone. And then they'll follow that up and say, well, you know, there's some problems or I, I just don't think it's necessary. They, they end up really explaining to you these really great pieces of information that you can glean a lot from by what's, what is a pretty simple question. The other one that I really like is uh, the magic wand question. So the magic wand question basically presupposes that you can do anything with this product or service that you are thinking about. So the magic wand question says, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about this business? So, you know, I was working on one the other day and, you know, one of the magic wand answers was uh, free chocolate and sushi. And, those kind of answers are perfectly fine because they not only, I mean, most people would look at that and go, well, that's not a very helpful answer. They're, they're being goofs, you know, that, that doesn't help us with what we need to do. I look at that as very useful information because in this particular case, when I looked at the magic wand question, the answer across the board was nothing. You know, I, I, there's, there's not really anything I would change about this business. And this one person piped up and said, free chocolates, more sushi. Not only is that a good answer, that reiterates what the other people are saying. It's just as important as an answer of, I wouldn't change anything to say, you know, this is what it is. Because in this particular instance, we got some very important information from this, this series of questionnaires and surveys and conversations. And one of the things we got was everyone who uses this product loves it. Okay, great. So the issue is not with the product. Everyone likes the pricing. Everyone likes the availability. Everyone likes all of these different things. So the problem is obviously just physically getting the word out. So 
it leads us to really actionable things to do by telling us that people are very, very, very happy with the project, with the product. And so that's an important question. Now, there's other times where the magic wand question is going to get you some answers that you that, that are big answers. I mean, sometimes they're going to say, well, I would I would totally change this or I would add this or I would take away this or the pricing. You know, I would change the pricing to this or whatever. And those answers are important as well. You do have to take into account what the people are saying about those things and understand that much of the issues, I mean, assuming you have developed a good product, the major issue is always going to be perception. It's perception and reach. It's are people able to directly connect with you and this product? And what do they think you're offering? I mean, there are people who believe they are offering one service and they're offering something very different. Uh, take, for example, uh, the perception of a science center. So a science center with like a lot of kid-friendly things, what the science center believes they're offering is a great place to learn, to explore, to get creative, all those sorts of things. And what the client or customer might see is a place for my kids to play for a couple hours so I don't go crazy. This is something that absolutely happens. You know, you might look at one thing one way, your customer might look at it in a totally different way. And so... That doesn't mean that you need to change the product. I mean, if I'm a science center and I find out that, you know, this is what people are in, think of me or this is what people, you know, perceive from my business, I'm not going to say, okay, well, we'll turn our science center into a daycare because that's what people perceive us to be and that's what we want. No, no. What I need to do is reach a different people, basically add more people and change the perception of the way people think about it. I like to think of it as adding the perception. So I don't want to shun those customers away. I want those to continue, but I want to, the people who don't know that, you know, we offer classes in something or that we have these different programs or that we do all these different things. I don't want to replace my existing clients with them. I want to add them into the mix. And so the magic wand question, when you start to see what people are thinking, really guides you towards what the perception is. And I think that's really, really important to understand how people perceive your business. It is totally fine to disregard information that you are given as part of your, as part of your service. And what I mean by disregard is you don't have to implement all the changes that customers want you to implement. When you talk to someone like Jason Freed at Basecamp, they basically just stripped down a lot of their stuff. They took out features. They made it a much more basic product. People were always asking for, what if it did this too? What if it did this too? What if it did this as well? And they came to the conclusion that that wasn't a good idea. 
you know, if you look at the interface on Facebook right now, they have added so much and it's become an unwieldy product in a lot of different ways. And it's still going to get used because of what it does and how it doesn't. There's, there's great things there, but there's a difficulty that comes from that feature creep. And so you don't necessarily have to. I mean, if I decide that I make t-shirts, so let's say I make these really great graphic tees and I, you know, ask my customers from a magic wand perspective, what would you like? And my customers say, uh, well, I would like it available in a hundred different colors. You know, like, okay, all right, that's, that's fine, I guess. And then they say, I'd also like there to be an option for me to have a pocket in the, like a, a breast pocket. I want that to be an option. And you're kind of like, well, I, you know, that's going to be kind of difficult to do and have that as an option based on what I'm going to print. And then they say, I'd also like, uh, you know, to have this available with a, um, with a button down option. Like maybe it has two buttons on the top or maybe it doesn't like there's two different options I have for it. And you end up with, okay, a hundred different colors. And for each color, there's two more variations. So we're talking about going from, you know, one or two or three products to 300 products. And if you took all of that information and all of it's good, you know, it does make sense to have it in different colors. It does make sense to maybe have it as a button down option. Maybe, maybe not that one. This is why I'm not a fashion designer. It does probably make sense to have some of them with a breast pocket, but you can't because you can't include all that stuff and still be functional and successful. So you have to get to a point where you are disregarding some of the information that your customers are giving to you uh, because otherwise you are left overwhelmed and honestly, you'll go out of business. You will go out of business if you try and do too many things all at once. And so that magic wand question, there may be things in there where you say, oh, you know what? That would be a super easy feature or, or service for me to provide as part of this. If that's the magic wand, like if that's the thing that people are interested in, that would be very easy for me to provide. But on a much, much more important, much bigger scale, I will say that what I really want you to get an idea from, from the magic wand question is how people perceive the product that you have. You know, I, I don't want to really get into details about the, the most previous, the previous company I was helping out with this, but essentially I'll give you an example that I can sort of make up on, on my own uh, side of things. So let's say that I have a client. So if you're not familiar with what I do, I build websites uh, we do all of the graphic work, uh, including logos, branding guidelines, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we do social media coaching, training, some management, and we produce content in the form of blogs, in the form of data content, ebooks, all those sorts of things, direct web copy, all that. So I do all these different things, but some people don't know that I do all those different things. So if, for example, I was interviewing customers who were web customers of mine who I built websites for and those customers. And when it comes to the magic wand question said, you know, well, I really love all the help with my website, but then, you know, I, I just, 
I wish there was some way that I could have content on there afterwards or that would be sort of just there. And I wish that, you know, I knew better how to promote my site once it's, once it's up and running. Okay. Those are services that I provide, but maybe they don't understand that. So in this case, what, what you'll find a lot is that people don't know that these are things you actually do, or these are add-on services that you can add. They think that you are one thing, you know, very, very strictly, and you're not. So I think that the magic wand question will give you an idea of the perceptions and the misperceptions that you need to change so that you can then reach the right people in the right ways. And I think that when we do that well, when we when we understand what people think about us, really, it goes a long, long way in improving our business. Now, the other thing is that wherever possible, you need to physically talk to your customers. So in this last uh, set that I did for a client, we did uh, a series of web questionnaires that, that asked some of the questions we wanted answers to. But we also offered a follow-up of if we wanted more information, would you be available to have a phone call and actually talk with us with on this for about 15 minutes or so? And the, f- the first thing is, is that there is an advantage to this that you might not necessarily think of, which is you might kind of look at it in terms of, okay, great, I, I'm going to answer these questions. And you might sort of think like, okay, well, I, I, have, I have some time and, and I, can, I can answer those. And I guess I don't mind a phone call. You know, that wouldn't be the end of the world. And that's the way most people kind of, kind of think about it when they see people say, yes, okay, you can contact me for this. When I see someone say, yes, if you wanted more information on this, you can call me and I will you know, answer your questions. I see that as a huge opportunity in a number of ways. Number one, I'm going to get better information from them than I would have from just the survey. That's the first big thing. I'm, I'm going to get better info. Because I'm going to hear the nuanced tones. I'm going to hear, you know, I'm going to hear the way that people say something. You know, the way that someone says a thing can often be so much more important than what they say. So someone might say, I might ask, you know, would you recommend our service to someone else? And on this, on the survey, on the text, it just might say like, yes, no, maybe. And they might say, yes. But when I ask them and they say, yeah, that's a very different answer than yes. Uh, and you don't get that from the survey. So you do get much better information if you're actually talking to your customers. And you can glean a lot more. But there's also a way, way more important part of this, which is you're connecting in person with your customers. They believe, and hopefully rightly so, that you respect and value their opinion. They believe that they are 
involved in the process of making your company better and, and hopefully rightly so. And they believe that you take their opinion seriously. They don't know how many people you're necessarily interviewing. They don't know how many people said yes or how many people you're actually going to interview. They don't know any of that information. What they know is someone from this company wants to talk to me, ask my permission, didn't just call me up out of the blue and say, hi, I'm from whatever company and I want to know all this information, but rather took the time to say, hi, I would like to talk to you about this. Is that okay? So they got my consent to talk to me and, and then actually asked, you know, good, relevant questions. You also have this as an opportunity to follow up and build a little more trust and build up that permission a little bit if you wanted to use that as a sales opportunity. So I'm not going to recommend that at the end of that call you say, you know, do you want to go ahead and buy that right now? But I will say that there are some things you can do that would be in line with that. So, for example, at the end of that call, you might want to say, you know, we really value the information that you provided. Would you like us to contact you when, you know, a beta of this is available? Or would you like us to contact you when we finish these upgrades? Or all these different things you can do where you can basically say, would you give us more permission to get in touch with you from there. You also have an opportunity in these cases to say, you know, because you've done this, we'd also like to offer you this at this discounted rate. It, it is totally fine at the end of one of these to say, we appreciate that you've helped us out. And so the people who've helped us out are going to get a deal. If they say no, they say no. Very few people, if you've really conducted the surveys correctly and the conversations correctly, very few people are going to say, oh, you're just trying to sell me something because you're not. And that is, is very important. The one thing that I will say, which is my big caveat to talking to customers about your products, is you had better be on good terms with them. Whether you're making a sales call or whether you're making a contact for service, or whether you're making a contact for customer information, you know, whether you're, whether you're using this for, for marketing data or whatever, you'd better be on good terms with that customer if you get them on the phone with you, or even if you get them in an email with you. And I'm going to tell you a very brief story about that. My wife had ordered a product from the U.S. and uh, for her business and received an email message that it was being held until we had paid the, uh, the duties. And so we had to contact them. So we contacted them and they said, well, do you have a broker? And we said, no. And they said, well, we can act as a broker for you in this one particular instance. You just have to fill out this form within 24 hours. Someone will get back to you and they will, um, they'll let you know what the rates are going to be uh, and what you have to pay basically to get this released. We're like, okay, sent that off. Now, we're very busy. We have a lot of things on the go. We should have followed up better. But you know that we put that in late Thursday. So I thought, you know, 
they might not really receive that. It, it might be 24 business hours, which, which could mean that, you know, maybe we won't get this until next week. Next week comes along, still haven't gotten any contact from them back. And so I called and I was told, uh, okay, well, you got to talk to this other department. I tried that other department. I don't get through to them. I end up kind of walking away from it and just being like, I, I don't have time for this right now. So on Thursday, this is a full week after I've filled out the initial forms. On Thursday, I get a phone call from this shipping company. And my thought is, oh, good. Finally, we're doing this. And it's about brokerage services. It's, from, it's someone from brokerage services. So I'm thinking, okay, amazing. This will be great. We'll go ahead and do that. Uh, they told me who they were and they you know, talked about who I was. And then they said, you know, how often do you ship things? And I'm thinking like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about here? And so, how, you know, are you, do you have a broker right now? And I'm like, no, we don't have a broker. That's fine. And so then they said, well, I'm calling to this department. What we'd like to do is we would like to be your broker. And we'd like to offer you these deals that we can send you, these shipping rates that would be just for you. And you can ship and you can do this and you can do all these different things. And she was like, you know, can I send us that email address? And I said, yeah, you can. But like, what's going on with this shipment? And they said, oh, I have no idea. I'm not from that department. You have to talk to them. And they said, I said, okay, well, I've tried calling. They said, well, look, well, I'll give you the numbers. I said, look, I'm in the car. I'm driving right now. Could you email them to me? You've got my email address because you're going to send me these reduced shipping rates. And so they sent me an email back pretty quickly with two phone numbers. The first number said, this number is not available in your area. The second number didn't really give me a lot of information. It said, press one to accept the charges and continue. So I hung up, emailed her back, told her what had happened. And she said, oh, you just have to hit one a couple of times. It's fine. Uh, anyways, I tried to call through to customer service and I was able to get through. I said, oh, okay, were you able to, to figure it out? And she said, no, no, I, you have to call them. Okay. So she says, here's the number you can call. Here you go. So I call this number to get through to someone. I tell them what's going on. They say, do you have a broker? No. For the 90th time, I don't have a broker. I filled out these forms. I want to get this released. What's going on? And they said, oh, from what I can see, you, you literally just have to pay us. Like, we're all good to go. You need to pay us. So you need to pay us this $400. I said, pardon? She said, what's well, $400? It's like $398 or $412 a month. So I said, I'm going to, I said, for how much was the order that we placed? She said, $690 or something like this. And so I said, do you think it's reasonable for the duties on a $700 package to be $400? And she said, mm, no, not really. And I said, okay. She said, what I would do is I would email this other department and ask them to review the shipping rates on this particular order and try and see if, you know, a mistake was made. And then you'll be able to, you know, to go from there. And so, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, aren't I talking to customer service? Isn't this what reasonably you should be doing? But I carry on, continue on. I don't want to make a big thing about it. I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm just trying to get this done. So 
about 10 hours later, I get an email that says, hey, we've reviewed this. And it, you're right. It shouldn't have been $400. It should have been $134, which, A, leads me to question how often these shipping rates are totally off when it comes to duties and brokerage fees and stuff and how often people get ripped off. And B, I went ahead and paid it. And they said, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and ship it out. It was simple. There was an online payment portal. It was never included in any of the original conversations. And so here's the thing. Someone contacted me to make a sale for a company who currently was failing to provide the service I required from me. Two follow-ups. Number one, the official job title of this individual was lead qualifier. That's an awful job title. It tells me that your job is to call out cold call, basically, more or less, and see if I maybe want to be a customer of yours. And I feel very much, you know, I'm a lead at this point. I get it. I understand. I know what a lead is. But boy, that's a real impersonal way. You're a lead qualifier. Your job is to call leads and see if it's worthwhile to talk to me. That's not ideal. That's not generally the way I would recommend that you do business. The second part of this is we're in the midst of you failing. What makes you think that this is a good time for you to say, in our current failures to become a broker for you, would you be interested in hiring us to be your full-time broker? This is amazing to me. It, it almost speaks to a confidence I can't even imagine. I, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to like, the best sort of metaphor or analogy to make here. And I'm, I'm struggling with it because for me, it's like if I went to McDonald's and McDonald's threw the burger on the floor in front of me and said, you can pick it up and eat it from there. And while I was attempting to pick it up and eat it off the floor, said, by the way, uh, we cater weddings and funerals. And we were wondering if you'd like to sign up today to have your wedding or funeral catered by McDonald's, the company who just threw your food on the floor. Which, by the way, McDonald's has never done that to me. I've always had great service at McDonald's, like exceptional service at McDonald's. But you get my point. What Can you imagine Like, what kind of aud- the audacity, the sheer fortitude to say, and obviously they didn't know, but you need to do some research on your customer service side of things. But to say, like, hey, we're currently failing you. Would you like us to fail you permanently as your full-time company that fails you? That's amazing to me. That's incredible. Now, the last piece of this is, number one, she never actually sent me these shipping rates. The only emails I ever received were an email that said, these are the emails I received from the individual who was supposed to be contacting me to qualify me as a lead and sell me reduced shipping rates and brokerage fees. I got an email from her that had two phone numbers that didn't work. I got a second email that said, oh, you're right, one of those emails, that, one of those phone numbers didn't work, but I called the other one, and you're dumb, and I got through. And a third email that said, I'm not in customer service. 
I'm in you know, business services. That was actually one of the things that blew me away the most. I'm not in customer service. I'm in business service. Oh, well, that's interesting. So I'm not a customer. I'm a business. I'm a business customer. But I'm not a customer. You're in sales. You can't help me. Companies need to get much better at being able to put you in touch with the right people. When I worked in customer service for a cell phone provider, some of the things that we did was directly connect them with companies we weren't even involved in. Not just departments that weren't ours, but straight up companies that we had no involvement with. So for example, if a customer called us, was mad about some subscription service that was on their phone, that has nothing to do with us. It's a third party that, that they signed up with or whatever. We would regularly transfer them over to that company. Sometimes we would do what's called a warm transfer, which would be we would introduce them to the person. You know, we wouldn't just throw them into a queue and say, I hope you survive. We would actually call that other company and say, hey, this is, you know, so-and-so. I have so-and-so on the line and they have some questions about the service. I'd like to introduce you so you can make this a good experience for both of you. And, and that's what we would do. The idea that you won't either check out what's happening in another department or transfer me to that other department so that I can actually get it taken care of is mind-blowing to me. So in the end, the service was eventually provided. Again, I needed to call one department, fill out a form to get a callback that I never got, get a call another department and be told that I couldn't get through to another department, get a call from a department that was unrelated and just wanted to sell me something, who then emailed me with numbers that didn't work so that I could email them back for one number that did work to get through to a department who told me to email another department who sent me back an email that said, fill out this form. That's an amazing customer service failure. And if you're going to call a customer or interview a customer in some way from a marketing perspective or from a sales perspective, you need to know that this could happen. I would strongly recommend that you have a very clear understanding of who you're about to talk to before you call them, what their situation is. Are they a happy customer, do you think, based on what you see on their accounts? Are they a displeased customer based on what you see in their accounts? And be able to come armed with the information you're going to need. Because it doesn't matter what your purpose is. It matters what the customer wants. So you can decide that you're calling to you know, complete an in-person aspect of a, a survey with some questions you want to do for some customer research. That's fine. You can decide that. But you don't get to tell the customer that they can't ask you about other things. You have to be prepared for that. So if you're going to do some customer research, you need to also put in the work. You need to be willing to put in the work as part of that. I hope that you found this helpful. Getting buy-in from your customers and asking them the right questions about the right things so that you can ensure that you know what you're talking about and that you know what your customers want and need and what they think of you and how you can alter or improve or change those perceptions is super important. And it is very important that we probably ask our questions a lot more. We ask our customers 
a lot more questions other than are you ready to buy this right now?